Hello and welcome to Disastrous History. My name is Anthony, and I am the host of this wonderful mess of a show that will attempt to chronicle some of the biggest and most interesting disasters, messes, and all-around screw-ups that have happened throughout the centuries. So to start out this week, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping things. Uh, I finally came up with a plan for what this podcast will be going forward. Over the past month and a half or so, I've kind of meandered through some of my favorite disasters and things that interested me, and there wasn't really a plan, so to speak. But after talking with my wife, Mrs. Disastrous History, she came up with a good idea. So here it is. Starting this week and for the next few weeks going forward until at least Easter, give or take, we will be covering tornado disasters. It's tornado season, almost tornado season, and what better time to learn about them. And then, as we get into summer, we will flip over to fires and floods. That's a good time as any, really, to cover those. Then in the fall, it'll be prime hurricane season, and then back to winter where we would do blizzards and cold snaps and other random disasters that I find. And of course, if I find one I really like, I'll throw in a supplemental episode or whatever, and I'll still do the occasional stories of my fire scenes if you guys actually want to listen to those. I don't know if you guys enjoyed the first one, but if you did, please let me know. Um, So this is the new plan, and I hope you guys like it, and if you don't, let me know. To start out this new plan, we've got a big one. The Palm Sunday tornado outbreak of 1965. The 1965 part is important because there was also a Palm Sunday tornado outbreak in 1920, which also happened in more or less the same area. This is also different than the 2020 Easter Sunday tornado outbreak in the south. That one was a whopping 140 confirmed tornadoes, and was a bad one. Uh, Also, the 1913 Easter Sunday tornado outbreak. You know, I'm starting to think maybe the week between Palm Sunday and Easter is just not a good time to be in the eastern half of the United States, especially the Midwest and the South. But uh, we will get to all those outbreaks in the coming weeks. So, to get this out of the way early, I absolutely love the movie Twister. So chances are... There will be many references to that movie in this episode and in the episodes coming up. If you do not love Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, and Philip Seymour Hoffman combining in the best, most quotable disaster movie ever made, you may as well leave now. Anyway, on to the disaster. I want to start this week and this season, I guess, with what a tornado is. Many people have weird notions of what tornadoes are and how they are rated and all that kind of stuff. So, the definition of a tornado is a violently rotating column of air that is in contact with both the surface of the earth and a cloud. Contact in both locations is necessary. If contact is not made with the ground, then it is a funnel cloud. Technically speaking, every tornado has a funnel cloud, but not every funnel cloud is a tornado. I hope you're following. Also, I'd like to shout out my local meteorologists, Rusty Lord and David Keller, for helping me with the research on what a tornado is and some of the more of the research for this episode. You guys are awesome. Now, let's talk about what a tornado looks like. What makes a tornado or funnel cloud visible is a combination of water vapor in the air condensing and debris from the ground combining with the water vapor. Tornadoes can be a wide range of colors, essentially taking the color of whatever they travel over or where the lighting lighting is in relation to where you are standing. So, if the sun is behind you and you're facing the tornado, 
the tornado will be lighter. If you're facing the tornado and the sun is behind the tornado, the tornado will appear darker. It will also take the color of whatever they travel over. So if they travel over snow, they'll look white. If they travel over water, water they'll turn a blue color. And if they travel over that red dirt in Oklahoma, they'll start chanting Boomer sooner and play that god-awful song over and over again before losing in the first round of the playoffs again. So we've got what it is, now we need what does it sound like. Well, unfortunately I've heard a couple tornadoes and it sounds a lot like a freight train. Just a really loud freight train the entire time. It's also been described as a grizzly bear's roar, a loud hissing noise. There's all kinds of ways people have described a tornado. Both of the ones I've heard sounded like freight trains. Just a constant freight train driving right past you. Luckily, I haven't been hit by a tornado, but I've been close enough to hear it. So the next thing we have is, how does a tornado rotate? Well, tornadoes rotate cyclonically, so counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere, clockwise in the southern hemisphere. Alright, so that's what a tornado is, and what it sounds like, and what it looks like, and how it rotates. But, how does it form? Well, all tornadoes come from a supercell storm. A supercell storm is formed when fast-moving winds roll air into a horizontal vortex, basically a vortex of wind parallel to the ground. Then an updraft of warm air near the ground lifts the now horizontally rotating vortex of wind up into a vertical vortex, a vortex that is perpendicular to the ground. The same updraft of warm air then helps to narrow the rotating cylinder. A mix of warm air and cold air forces the wind to move faster and faster due to the interaction of the two temperatures of wind. This rotation can be seen on weather radar as a hook. So if you're looking at a radar, you see a part of the storm where it looks like the rain is hooked around and there's like a circle in the middle. That's rotation. The rotation then becomes more and more violent. It then starts to stretch towards the ground, becoming a funnel cloud, and then a tornado. So, that's how a tornado forms. But after a tornado, there's constant talk of F1 or F2 or whatever. Well, tornadoes are divided into different categories. They are numbered F0 through F5, although now they are technically EF0 through EF5. It's called the Enhanced Fujita Scale. It was originally called the Fujita Scale. They got more research. Now it's the Enhanced Fujita Scale. It scales based on wind speed and level of destruction. Furries, and from being a Midwest boy through and through, I will end up calling them F whatever number. It's ingrained into my brain from a young age. So when I say F1, for instance, I really mean EF1, but I constantly forget. Please forgive me. I would also like to point out that it is basically impossible to accurately measure wind speed in a tornado. They can measure some, but trying to stick a Dorothy in front of every tornado is impossible. And it destroys basically another weather radar system or weather systems to record them. So it's really difficult. They're really, really strong. So to give you a rundown of how these tornadoes are rated, what the wind speeds are, and what the destruction is. An F0 is the weakest with wind speeds around 65 to 85 miles per hour. This will down power lines and relocate trash cans and maybe blow some branches around, maybe knock over some really small trees. Simple stuff. An F1 ranges 
from around 86 to 110 miles per hour. An F1 might uproot some bigger trees and do some small damage to your house, break windows out, rip off shingles, stuff like that. Maybe move some car around, tip over a semi, you know, that kind of stuff. An F2 ranges from 111 to 135 miles per hour. An F2 will do a good number on your house. Rip off the roof, relocate your car, uproot trees, things of that nature. It's bad day. After we get past F2, we get into the really, really, really bad days. An F3 ranges from 136 miles per hour to 165 miles per hour in speed. An F3 will do a good bit of damage to your house, like remove large chunks of it. This is when you start to hear stories of corn stuck, stuck through walls and the like, cars thrown through the air, the bark on trees torn off, the weird stuff you hear about tornadoes. And then we get to an F4. An F4 ranges from 166 to 200 miles per hour. An F4 is a bad, bad day. This will permanently relocate your house to everywhere else, basically. Cars will be found in trees around the corner. Basically, you want to be anywhere else but in the path of an F4. And if you get in the path of an F5, well, that's a bad time. An F5 is anything with wind speeds over 200 miles per hour. An F5, well, an F5 is the finger of God. All that brings us to the morning of Saturday, April 10th, 1965. Across most of the Midwest, it was a warm and humid day. All throughout March, it had been stormy, snowy, and cold. One of the coldest marches on record for the Midwest area. Then the first week of April shot up to the 70s, then dropped back down to the 40s, just three days before the infamous tornado outbreak. Now, just as a note, some people do not consider the tornadoes that occurred on the 10th of April of 1965 to be an official part of the outbreak, but, I mean, they were spun off the same system, so I'm going to count them. Sue me. In the run-up to the outbreak of tornadoes, a low-pressure system was sitting over the Dakotas with a warm front going through the middle of Iowa and across into Indiana and Michigan. It was humid. It was on the way to hot. The conditions were perfect for a bad time. The first confirmed tornado of this soon-to-be massive outbreak occurred about 1.30 p.m. in Platte, Missouri. Platte is a small town in northwestern Missouri. It was officially categorized as an F-Zero and caused a whopping $30 of damage. It downed some power lines and did some damage to a barn. If only they were all like this one. There would be six more tornadoes on the 10th of April. One F-4 touched down in Faulkner, Arkansas and killed six people and wounded over 200. Unfortunately, this was only the opening salvo and what would turn out to be an absolute onslaught. The next morning was Palm Sunday. People were out at church or having a picnic. It was a nice day to be outside, especially after the cold, snowy march they had just experienced. It was hot and humid, probably a good day to hang out with family. But that nice weather made our conditions get worse, or I guess more favorable if you're a tornado. A humid air mass moved into southern Indiana and Illinois, and the cold front moved into the same area from the north. At 11.45 a.m., what was then called the Severe Local Storms Unit, 
released a report that stated there was a possibility of tornadoes from northeastern Missouri up through northern Indiana. At 1 p.m., they released their first tornado alert in eastern Iowa, southern Wisconsin, and northern Illinois. It's important to note this was not a tornado watch. Those wouldn't be a thing until the year after this event. And unbeknownst to them at the time, an F4 tornado had already touched down in Iowa, 38 miles east of Cedar Rapids, about 15 minutes prior. This tornado caused massive damage, some $5 million. It traveled anywhere from 40 miles to 90 miles, depending on the source. It destroyed multiple farms, and at its widest point was 200 meters wide. It also caused one fatality. From eastern Iowa, the storm spread eastward across southern Wisconsin and northern Illinois. This is when the storms really began to pick up steam and the chaos began. By the time the second alert was sent out at 4.20 p.m., there had already been at least 12 tornadoes throughout Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Among these was the devastating Lakewood Tornado. The monstrous Lakewood Tornado was an F4 that ripped a 9-mile-long path through northern Illinois. It uprooted trees, ripped the roofs off multiple houses, tossed cars aside like a 3-year-old playing Hot Wheels. The 1,300-foot-wide twister destroyed anything in its path. It destroyed a barn and killed a man named Ray Goss. The barn toppled on top of him while he was standing outside it. Ray had converted the barn to a basketball gym, and several children were inside playing when the storm struck. He herded them into the basement of his home, then went back to make sure the barn was empty, and that's when it collapsed on him, killing him. The twister also collapsed the roof of a Piggly Wiggly and trapped 20 people inside. But then it got worse. It headed straight for a subdivision. There, it ripped several homes completely off their foundations. 155 houses were destroyed. Four fatalities occurred within this subdivision. The first fatality was Lewis Knack. Lewis and his wife Fern had hid their children in the basement when the tornado appeared and went outside to secure the camping trailer. While running back to cover, they were hit by flying debris and had a wall collapse on them. Lewis was killed instantly. Another family lost three members. Richard, Rosalie, and John Holter were hiding in their basement when the tornado struck their home. Their bodies were found two blocks away. Strangely, the tornado placed a pickup truck on its wheels in the remains of the basement of their home where they had just been hiding. And in a slightly amusing story, the tornado struck a mink farm, which you would think would end poorly for the minks, but it didn't. They all escaped, which led to the owner of the mink farm having to spend the next several days hunting down the newly freed minks. And I realize this is a terrible disaster, but that is a hilarious situation. This dude has been hit by an F4 tornado and he's lost his barn and his business, but he has to spend the next several days hunting down Meeks. That's just a hilarious thing in my mind. I'm sorry. But things would only get worse from here. You see, weather services were releasing warnings about the day's events that would be taking place. The issue was, it was such a nice and sunny day that everyone was outside enjoying the freshly warm weather. It was also Palm Sunday, which means a large portion of the population was in church. And, I mean, just imagine it. You wake up the morning of April 11th, and it's Sunday, and it's a little chilly, but you can always tell those spring days where it's, you know, a little chilly in the morning, but just the way the air feels makes you think that it's going to be a warm, pleasant day. So, you make plans to go out, have a walk, or go on a picnic, or go to church, or, you know, whatever. 
and feeling happy and pleased that winter is finally over after it's been cold and snowy and just gross for so long, you're no longer trapped inside. You take your kids to the park and play football or throw a ball or shoot some basketball. You're in Indiana, so you're probably shooting basketball. And you just have a nice, you know, picnic, some sandwiches, maybe some chips, some nice cold drinks, maybe a cold beer, you know, the usual Sunday stuff on a nice spring day. Everyone is happy and smiling, and most of the town is there, so there's friends everywhere, and your kids are off playing and having a good time. You don't have a care in the world. Birds are chirping, kids are playing and laughing, everything is happy. The only thing that's seemingly changed and is a little bit weird is the sky has started to turn a weird yellow color. You don't really think anything of it, maybe it's just a weird thing that's happening, but you just have this weird feeling and you happen to glance off to the west and you can see the tops of thunderheads forming. And you think to yourself, eh, maybe they'll miss us and go back to what you were doing. But a little later, you look back over west, just have that weird feeling in the back of your head and those thunderheads are a lot closer than you realized they were before. And the sky is starting to get darker and darker and it's, it's not time for sun to go down yet. It shouldn't be that dark. And then, all of a sudden, it's quiet. The birds have gone quiet. The bugs aren't making noise. The wind is starting to pick up. And it, it, you, you notice the wind. It was, it was weak at first, but it's starting to really get going. And I mean, there's still people out playing and having a good time, but you just have that, that weird sense in the back of your head that something isn't right. And I... Maybe you're just being weird. It's just a thunderstorm. I mean, they happen all the time in the Midwest. It's a regular occurrence. So you continue to play and, you know, have a good time, hang out, drink a beer, eat your food, have a good time, and all of a sudden it's, it's dark. And uh, then you really notice that the sky's a weird, weird color now. Those clouds don't look good. They're really dark. And then the clouds start to turn a different color. A concerning color, a, a green color, and and then you've got greenage, and then the noise starts, and the wind really picks up, and the rain picks up, and then it starts hailing, and then you're concerned, and there's a flash of lightning, you look off in the distance, and there's that whirling column headed straight at you. You had no warning. You had some weird feelings, but storms happen all the time. It's not unusual. You had no earthly idea this was going to happen. It was such a nice day. You hadn't been near a radio since the morning. No one else had been near a radio since the morning. Everybody was out enjoying their time at the park and enjoying the warm weather. And the next thing you know, your whole town, your whole house, your whole livelihood has been ripped to shreds. This was the story of many people that Sunday afternoon. When the second severe weather alert went out at 4.20 p.m., warning of tornadoes, hail, and high wind, a large portion of the population in the affected area of northern Ohio, northern Indiana, and southern Michigan simply didn't hear it. And, of course, this is where the brunt of the tornadoes would strike. And that part about the yellow sky was true. Many people reported that before any clouds appeared, there was a weird yellow in the sky, and they couldn't really explain it. 
but that was because the tornadoes that had already struck further west in Illinois had picked up dirt and debris and launched it up into the jet stream, turning the sky a weird yellow color. And now is when it starts to get really bad. At 5.15 p.m., the first of two F4 tornadoes hit the Midway trailer park just outside Goshen, Indiana. This tornado tore apart the Midway trailer park. It annihilated most of the trailer park and sent debris hurtling all over the place. An airplane wing that originated in the Goshen Airport was found 35 miles away in Michigan. Richard Gresso found himself in one of the most terrifying situations I can imagine. He was on a motorcycle, doing his best to outrun the F-4 tornado that had formed in Goshen. Prior to this terrible situation, he had saved his mom from their trailer, which had already been tossed upside down with her inside. He managed to make it across the intersection from his family's trailer, before the wind was so strong he couldn't keep the motorcycle upright. So he laid it down and grabbed a nearby tree. That tree was then uprooted and tossed, causing Gresso, causing Gresso to lose his grip, slide across the ground, and hit a stop sign. And then he was unconscious. He eventually woke up in a morgue. His brother found him in the hallway of the morgue, barely alive. The stop sign split open his skull, exposed part of his brain, and had nearly severed his leg. He was eventually released from the hospital two weeks later and survived. Um, he, unfortunately, was picking out pieces of debris from his body that got pushed to the surface for years and years afterwards, which I can imagine. I'm, I'm trying to imagine. You just pulled your mom out of a flipped-over trailer that had already been hit by a tornado, and you're thinking to yourself, man, this is thankfully this is finally over, when all of a sudden, another one... Another F4 tornado, which is 185 to 200 mile an hour winds, starts forming behind you. And you're looking around trying to figure out, where am I going to go to hide from this thing? Realize that the trailer park's already been destroyed, all the shelter's gone, and in a trailer park there's not much shelter to begin with. There's a reason why there's the stereotype that tornadoes destroy trailer parks, because trailers don't have anything anchoring them to the ground so if you get a decent sized tornado they're going to get picked up and launched and they're light on purpose because they're supposed to be mobile so he looks around realizes that most of this trailer park is destroyed so he has to make a run for it and the only thing there that's still running is a motorcycle so he hops on a motorcycle and he is doing his best to gun this motorcycle and the winds are so strong he literally cannot keep it upright Trying to drive it, can't keep it upright. And so he has to lay it down. Like, at that point, you're just at the point of, I, I guess, take me. But, I mean, he held onto a tree, and I can't blame him. Tree's got roots, deep roots in the ground. Maybe that'll be able to hold it, and it won't rip me off of it. That didn't rip him off of it. It ripped the tree out of the ground. Like... This dude just had some really bad luck that day. He lost his home, and then he's being tossed by a tornado into a stop sign that is going to expose his brain and nearly sever his leg. That's just... That's a bad day. And he was one of the lucky ones. The other people in Midway Trailer Park were not so lucky. Ten people lost their lives after being struck by an F4 tornado that had split into two circling around the same spot. 
So there's a phenomenon in tornadoes that occasionally some of the bigger tornadoes will split in half and it will look like two tornadoes circling around the same spot. So, I, like that's got to be terrifying to witness. You're looking at it and there's this giant tornado that's got wind speeds up to 200 miles an hour headed at, straight at you and you're like, well this sucks. And then that 200 mile an hour tornado splits in half and makes two tornadoes. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Like, I can't imagine the terror where I'm like, okay, I have one tornado to deal with. I can go one direction or the other, and then it's like, ha, tricked you, splits in half. That's crap. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. That feels like cheating somehow. But that's what happened. And <laughs> what's funny is 45 minutes after that first F4 tornado split in half, and destroyed the trailer park, a second F4 tornado split in half and destroyed a subdivision about two miles north of the trailer park. Goshen was not a good place to be on April 11th, 1965. But it, this storm isn't done yet. After the two F4s smashed the area around Goshen, the storms continued up to the northeast, towards Michigan. But there was a bit of a problem. The power was out and the phone lines were dead, so no one in Indiana could warn the people in Michigan that, hey, these super strong storms are headed right at you, you need to take cover. But, you know, just like in Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa, the citizens of Michigan were out enjoying the nice weather, so even if the phone lines had been working, it wouldn't have mattered. Many people were completely unaware that there was a tornado until their house literally exploded around them. It was just a really bad day and a perfect sequence of events to produce a deadly tornado outbreak. But what is about to occur in extreme northern Indiana into Michigan is just awful, even for this terrible day. At around 5 p.m., a tornado formed in Steuben County, Indiana. Yeah, yet another F4 tornado. This one started at around one mile wide, which is really, really big. It destroyed basically everything it touched. It launched cars, removed houses from their foundations, basically annihilated everything. It even allegedly picked up an entire freight train and tossed it into Bob East Lake. Devastation was everywhere. But, I mean, that's basically the same thing that just happened in Goshen. I, how is that any worse than the others? And, well, what normally happens after a tornado? The storm passes and you come out to survey the damage, right? And that's what they did. And then about 30 minutes later... A second F4 tornado formed and hit the exact same area. And this isn't like in Goshen, where there was an F4 tornado that hit the trailer park, and then 45 minutes later there's an F4 tornado that hits a couple miles up the road. No, 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 no. This is an F4 tornado that forms, travels through, dissipates. The second F4 tornado forms, travels basically the exact same path. Several houses, about 80 got hit twice. They got hit by two F4 tornadoes. So imagine you've crawled out of what is left of your house, because it's an F4. It's basically relocated most of your house. You're picking up your belongings from all over the block, basically, down the street. And then you hear that terrible noise again. Look up, and there's a mile-wide tornado heading at you again. But you've got nowhere to hide now. Your house is just destroyed by the last one. Basically, the entire block is destroyed. You've got nowhere to go. You have to find a hole and hope that 
it doesn't hit you a second time. And it's, I mean, that's just cruel. 44 people ended up dying as a result of those two tornadoes. In the aftermath of these tornadoes, 26 people were left trapped in, under the rubble of the Manitou Beach Bible Church. The church's roof collapsed, destroying much of it. But in another weird thing with tornadoes, the hymnals remained exactly where they were prior to the tornado. There were several reports of walls and roofs being ripped off of houses with everything still inside remaining exactly where they were placed. And that's a thing that happens in a lot of tornadoes. You'll get reports of entire roofs being ripped off of houses, but all of the furniture in the house being exactly where it was left, with pillows and blankets and papers still sitting on desks exactly where they were before the tornado ripped the roof off of the house, ripped walls out of the house. You'll have reports of walls being ripped out of the house and the roof still being there and the other walls around it still being there and just one section of the wall being ripped out. Or you'll have reports of, you know, tornadoes picking up debris and just placing it in a tree around the corner. There's been numerous stories of children being picked up by tornadoes and placed in a tree perfectly unharmed down the street. Tornadoes do the weirdest stuff. The tornadoes in this outbreak would continue to spin up in Indiana and Ohio until just before midnight. Several more F4s and fatalities would occur. In total, 55 tornadoes were spun off the 1964 Palm Sunday tornado outbreak. There were 18 F4s, 6 F3s, 14 F2s, 16 F1s, and 1 F0. 266 deaths occurred as a result of these tornadoes. It was one of the largest and deadliest outbreaks in the United States to that point. One of the good things to come out of this outbreak was a new tornado warning system was put into place. The system of tornado watch and tornado warnings was put into effect. That's the system we use today. The system became, if there is a tornado watch, the ingredients are there for a tornado. If it's a tornado warning, a tornado has been spotted or severe rotation has been spotted on the radar. To put it into simpler terms, think of a cupcake. If you have a cupcake watch, then you have the flour, the sugar, the eggs, the vanilla, the baking powder, the salt, the butter, and the milk all sitting out ready to go. So all you have to do is put it together, bake it, and you got a cupcake. And if you have a cupcake warning, well, then you have a cupcake fully baked and ready to eat. So if you have a tornado watch, you've got the low pressure, the high pressure, the warm air, you've got the moisture, all the whole thing there for a tornado form. If you have a tornado warning, you probably already have a tornado on the ground somewhere. The other thing that came about after the 1965 outbreak was the use of civil defense sirens to notify of the impending threat. Since many people were in church or outside during this outbreak, they wouldn't have heard any of the warnings put out over television or the radio. So they had to come up with a way to fix that, because you can't have people, another episode like this where you've got everybody outside nowhere near a radio and they don't hear the warnings and have a absolute disaster similar to this one. So how are they going to fix it? Back during World War II and the subsequent Red Square, many towns had installed civil defense sirens in the case of bombings, invasion, whatever other crazy thing they could cook up that was unlikely to happen to a town in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Most had gone unused, obviously, because there weren't any bombing runs in the middle of nowhere Indiana or middle of nowhere Illinois. And contrary to popular belief, Red Dawn was not actually a documentary and Patrick Swayze didn't fight the Russians in the middle of the mountains in Colorado or the middle of a cornfield in Indiana. 
So they decided they would use the civil defense sirens that if there was a tornado warning or a tornado watch, they would set them off so people would know that something bad was happening. Makes sense. Pretty logical use. And it's still used to this day. Unfortunately, that would not be the last outbreak in the United States of tornadoes. There are several more to come and many, many large tornadoes that we will discuss in future weeks. And with that, we wrap up this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening, as always. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can, at DisastrousHSTRY. That's Disastrous History without the vowels in history. And on Instagram, at Disastrous History, spelled correctly. We also have a website called DisastrousHistory.com, spelled correctly. Uh, There you can read the articles, or the episodes, that is, as articles with maps and pictures. And there is a Google map of this uh, episode with the different tornado watches and locations of each tornado uh, throughout the whole outbreak. So, and descriptions of the damage and the cost and the size of the tornado and fatalities and the whole nine yards. So, that being said... Uh, if you guys want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, app, your podcasts, uh, except for Spotify, because Spotify does not allow reviews, I greatly appreciate it. And if you want to send me an email and let me know how I'm doing, it's uh, disastroushistory at gmail.com. Thank you guys again for listening. Uh, be safe, and always remember to check your smoke detector batteries.